Okay, so a lot, and I mean a lot, rattling around the old head today. So this episode is going to be an effort by me to, I suppose, put some of this in order and see what comes out of the wash. Put it in formation, rather. So the first thing I want to talk about is this idea of mind, body, soul. I've looked at it from a couple of different viewpoints and I'm going to further elaborate on that at the start at least. So more recently I mentioned the difference in our in our dietary requirements um, to a degree. So our mental, physical and emotional dietary requirements. We're all very familiar with our physical dietary requirements. We need a certain amount of protein, a certain amount of fats, a certain amount of carbs, uh, minerals and vitamins and, and all that jazz. And then... We need a, we have a mental diet then as well, and that's the type of things that we listen to on the news, or that we watch in the TV, or that we read in our books, or that increasingly these days we read or watch on our smartphones and all that jazz. And then we have the emotional end of things, which would be, I don't know, anything that kind of stokes an emotive response. So that could be a rom com, it could be a, a comedy, you could be watching stand up, it could be a, a horrors that you're into, or thrillers, or things of that nature. So. Think different things that you consume that affect us on an emotional, spiritual, and physical level. And on the the wording of those, another way I I wrote down mental, physical, and emotional, and it just came to me. The first two came to me naturally. So mental is psychological, physical is physiological, and emotional. I'm kind of stuck on. I was thinking behavioral. So instead of mental, physical, and emotional, I was thinking psychological, physiological, and behavioral. Psychological and physiological make perfect sense. The behavioural, I'm not so sure, but it's something that I'm working on. The other thing then in relation to this exact same thing is the world that these things inhabit. So there's the cultural world, which is mental, or the societal world, which is mental or psychological. Then there's the natural world, which is physical or physiological. And then there's the spiritual world, which is emotional and possibly behavioural. But I just like those three terms as well, cultural, natural and spiritual. So they're, they're all encompassing umbrella terms to encapsulate essentially what I'm talking about. So I want to put that to one side. Next on the next thing that's rattling around the head is my mom's a bit under the weather at the minute. Shout out to Benjamin. She has, we don't know, it's either a chest infection or a touch of COVID or, or something along those lines. Maybe it's a bad flu. She's a lot better now and she will be fine within a couple of days, I'm sure. But what we ha- has me thinking about that is she has a, a physical problem. She has some sort of a, a, an infection. There's some sort of a virus or something has gone wrong with her physically. And if anybody has ever had a physical ailment or any kind of an illness, something that strikes you down physically, physiologically, Typically speaking, that's not going to put you in the best of moods. So you can see that there's a a crossover between how you're doing physiologically and how you're doing mentally or emotionally. And our our treatments come into play here. So what what kick-started all of this off was herself, the wife, she dropped up some turmeric, I think it was, to my mum, thinking that it might help. Now, I don't know about the, the benefits of taking turmeric. Some people think it's the best thing ever. Some people, not so much. I'm indifferent. I've absolutely no idea. But as far as I'm concerned, there's something to the act 
of calling round and giving somebody something. Now, whether or not that something will actually do any benefit, that's kind of beside the point. Because there's a, a massive element of, and I'm going to take the perspective of my mum for a second, I can see how, and I could be forgiven for thinking, that my mum might think, oh, Jesus, what's not nice of Ruth to think of me and to go out of her way to give me this thing? Now, as far as my mum's concerned, it mightn't even be chimeric. It could be fucking God knows what. It might be a chimeric substitute, or it might be, Ruth might have picked up something in the shop that she thought was chimeric or was labelled as chimeric, but maybe it's something else. The point being that it doesn't really matter. It's, it's essentially, as the, as the expression goes, it's the thought that counts. And this idea that it's the thought that counts, that kind of works both ways. So I've mentioned a positive example of it there, but there's obviously the, the kind of the negative example of it. Because a sick body can induce a sick mind, as played out by your mood when you're under the weather. But a sick mind can induce a sick body. Like if if you're if you're stressed enough for long enough, you'll get ulcers. You'll have stomach cramps. You'll have real physiological responses to psychological procedures. Or not not procedures, but situations or, or whatever. I mean we all we all get to a degree that stress can increase our blood pressure. It can it can increase our cortisol levels, and cortisol is a stress hormone. And if you if you are stressed or you're worried or you're anxious, your body, your your mental state will invoke a physiological response. So if you're stressed out of your head, your body will produce cortisol, a stress hormone. And I would argue that the more cortisol coursing through your veins, the more likely you are to become increasingly stressed. And you can see how this could spiral out of control in a positive feedback loop. But how we view everything or anything is everything. There's a William Shakespeare quote actually that's coming to mind. There is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And there's something to that. Like if something, if something in the natural world or in your culture happens, it's entirely on how you interpret it. It's, enti- it's entirely on how you frame it. It's entirely dependent on your perspective of said event, whether it plays out culturally or naturally, or even physiologically. You determine how these things affect you to a degree. There's there's obvious limits to this. You might think it was the best thing ever, getting shot in the face. But, you know, if you bleed out and die, it doesn't really matter what you think. So there are obvious limits to that quote. There is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. But just because there's limits to something doesn't mean that there isn't utility in, in the phrase nonetheless. So I've all of everything that I've just mentioned bubbling around in my head. The other thing that I have in my head is multitasking. So a friend of mine has their own podcast, but they haven't yet reached a place in their life whereby they're comfortable sharing it with anybody. So it's being uploaded to the cloud exactly the same way I upload mine to the cloud, but it's under a a pseudonym and the person isn't telling anybody about it because ah, there's, there's 101 different reasons. But anyway... This person was talking about multitasking and 
depending on who you're talking to, multitasking is either the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. There are people who think it's the most productive thing you could possibly do. And then there are people who think that it flat out doesn't exist. And I'm kind of like most things when I'm offered a, is it this way or that way? I kind of go, that's ah, a bit of both. Because I'm just back from my deliveries. And whilst on my deliveries, while I was driving to Dublin, I was listening to podcasts. And that's, a, in a sense, a form of multitasking. You're listening to something and you're driving, you're getting from A to B. So it certainly does exist in one sense. But in another sense, not so much, because a criticism people will have of multitasking is people will claim that you're not really doing two things at the same time. What you're doing is you're concentrating on one thing and then you're concentrating on another thing and then you're concentrating back again to the same thing. So your 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 attention is being split between one thing and another thing. So you're you're half assing both things instead of full assing one thing. Now, in relation to my original example of driving and listening, I can, I was about to say I can drive with my eyes closed, not so much. But the idea being that driving is, is it, it, it comes naturally to me. I've driven probably over a million kilometres in my lifetime, maybe more. I don't really know. I've never really quantified it, but it's a massive, massive, massive amount. And it comes naturally to me. I enjoy it and it's, I've done it that often that it's ingrained in my muscle memory. I can do it without thinking. And that clears up my mind to listen to a podcast, for example. But in other instances, so if I'm, I don't know, let's say, cooking a dinner, and at the same time I have to appease my tyrannical four-year-old, that I can't do simultaneously. I can be cooking the dinner, and then I can jump to trying to keep her happy. And then I can jump back to doing the dinner and then I can jump back to trying to keep her happy. But doing both at the same time doesn't really work for me. Which got me thinking about Ian McGilchrist and his thoughts on hemispheric specialisation. And the analogy there, the example that he gives and that I've given recently was this idea that a bird can use one of its hemispheres to focus 100% of its attention on distinguishing seeds from bits of gravel or bits of pebbles so it's 100% focused on that and then the the other hemisphere is 100% focused on predators am I about to be fucking eaten by something so that got me thinking in relation to multitasking is it the case that we can multitask provided the two things that we're doing at the same time one is dependent on one hemisphere and one is dependent on the other hemisphere. Now, all of this got me thinking about things that we do naturally. So when you're dancing, you're listening to the music and you're dancing. You wouldn't really consider that to be multitasking. No more than you consider running down the road and breathing to be multitasking. And what that made me think of was when you're listening to music and dancing... Are you paying attention, per se, to either? Or are you, as we say, getting lost in it? Are you, are you getting lost in the moment? Are you being carried away? So, are you experiencing the dance and the music? Or are you experiencing the music and generating the dance? And all of this got me thinking about another one of my boyfriends, a guy called Tennis Mc a guy called Terence McKenna and he thought about a completely different thing 
they're thereabouts in the same sphere as what I'm talking about here. But his was in relation to consciousness. As opposed to attention, he was talking strictly about consciousness. And he posited the question, are we receivers of consciousness? So are we like a television set? Do we receive consciousness? As opposed to generate consciousness? Like in the same way that a diesel generator generates electricity. So do we in our bodies generate consciousness like a generator generates electricity? Or do we receive consciousness like a television receives its signal? Jesus Christ, lads. Physiological, psychological, behavioural, cultural, natural, spiritual, chimeric, placebo, cortisol, William Shakespeare, Ian McGillcrest, hemispheric specialisation, fucking Terence McKenna consciousness. <laughs> I told you there was a lot rattling around the old head today. And on that note, I'll chat to you tomorrow.